miss my little table. Someone stole it. So I don't have that, so I'm going back to my old band days and having a music stand. So there are a lot of people here, and I want to take a quick poll. And uh, you're going to raise your hand if you don't have something that I mentioned, okay? So if you do not have a TV where you live, or a screen of some sort of device, whether it's in your bedroom or house, if you do not have a TV in your house, in your living space, raise your hand. Okay, one person, that's awesome. Okay, so if you do not have a smartphone of whatever kind, Android, iPhone, whatever, we know which one's superior, and there's all sorts of debates on that, but if you do not have a smartphone, raise your hand. Do you have a flip up? No, you're just like six. All right? So, okay, there's a few of you that don't have a smartphone. Okay, for those of you that do have smartphones, raise your hand if you do not have any form of social media. Raise your hand. Ooh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, very good, very good. Now, um, the two most addictive apps um, from ages 13 to 26 is Snapchat and TikTok, okay? If you do have those on your phone, raise your hand. If you do have those. Yeah, okay, very good. Okay, so this is not um, a sermon on the evils of any of those, so relax. But I do want to um, give you, share with you something that I think is powerful. It was written over 80 years ago by a guy, his name is C.S. Lewis. He's the Narnia guy, by the way, the guy who wrote the Narnia series. And he wrote this statement in a book called The Screwtape Letters. And one of my favorite books and it's this awkward, powerful book that it comes from the perspective of an older demon and a younger demon. And it comes from the perspective of how do we destroy a man's soul? And so this was written in 1939, Screw Tape Letters. And the younger demon looks at the senior demon and he says, hey, remind me the strategy again. Remind me of what the plan is. And so the senior demon says this. It's up on the screen. Our plan is very simple. And that is to create so much noise in the world that man can no longer hear the voice of his God. Wow. Over 80 years ago, he said this. It's kind of prophetic. We're going to create so much noise so that man cannot hear the voice of his God. How true is that in your life right now? Some of us just relish the busyness of life. But we have a lot of noise. We have a lot of clutter in our lives. 
So much so that I think that many of us have experienced a little bit of deafness. That's a word. To the voice of God. See, a noisy life impacts the depth of our experience and our relationship with God. It also impacts our growth in Jesus. When we have a noisy life, it distracts us in our experience, in our journey, in our relationship, and our growth in Jesus. So much so that we sort of deceive ourselves where we'll show up to this thing called church and we will check mark that one hour out of 168 hours of the week and saying, there's my experience with God. And one out of 168 hours just doesn't create the depth for our relationship with God. How noisy is your life right now? Also, the depth of our spiritual life will impact the story of Jesus that is in each of us. Because that is a story that needs to be told. And the depth of our spiritual life, the noisiness of that impacts the depth of our spiritual life. The depth of our spiritual life impacts the story of Jesus in us. So I want to talk a little bit about Paul. Paul was so intoxicated with Jesus, he could not stop telling the story of Jesus to others about what Jesus did in him, what Jesus did with him, and what Jesus did through him. He could not stop, regardless of the consequence. He wouldn't stop telling the story because he was so intoxicated and in love with Jesus. Because we talk about things that we love. We talk about when you first fall in love, you talk about the person that you've fallen, talk about the person to other people that you fall in love with. And it's easy to talk about those things. But are we intoxicated with Jesus' presence in our life where that's the thing that we talk about. So Paul did suffer a lot for sharing the story of Jesus to others. So I just wonder, have you ever suffered for the sake of telling the story of Jesus? What would that look like for you? Today I want to talk about... Um, We've been talking about the church in action. And I'm going to talk about an action that as followers of Jesus, we are called to do, but we rarely talk about it because it's not really popular because we think in our heads that it's really hard to do. But it should come naturally if we have the depth of love of Jesus in our lives. So that has to come too. And so Paul is this example of, fearlessly sharing the story of Jesus in him to whomever God put in front of him. So there's a question I want you to wrestle with. When was the last time you told somebody about the Jesus in you and your experience in Jesus? That's the challenge that we're going to talk about today. 
through the life of Paul. And the tough challenge is I've got six chapters to cover in one sermon. Wow, six chapters. And I'm going to do it all in less than two minutes. You excited about that? I'm going to paraphrase six chapters for you real quick. So 20 years have passed. Paul had not been in Jerusalem. When he left to go preach to the Gentiles and share the gospel, the story of Jesus in him, when he left, he hadn't been back. And 20 years later, he comes back to Jerusalem. And one of the first places he goes to is the temple. And he starts telling his story of Jesus and what Jesus had done with him and in him and through him. And the Jews came unglued. There was so much emotion that no reason made any sense. And so they got so riled up that they went to kill Paul for telling the story of Jesus right in the temple. And they went to murder this guy and the soldiers, Roman soldiers, had to carry him out of that space and put him in protective custody. Isn't that nuts? While he was in protective custody, there was another group of Jews that sat and said, we vow that we will go on a hunger strike and we will not eat anything until that man Paul is murdered. And so then they had to take him out of the barracks of protective custody and take him to a different city. There you go. That's the first three chapters I just told you. The next three chapters is Paul's trial in front of two Roman governors and a king, Felix, Festus, and King Agrippa. And that's the last three chapters. Six chapters in less than two minutes. So, so where we start in the story is throughout his entire imprisonment of these trials, Paul does not stop telling the story of Jesus to anyone that God put in front of him. He refused to. He wasn't intimidated. He didn't shy away from that. He would share that story over and over and over of what God had done in him and through him and with him over and over. And so Paul stood trial in front of the first Roman governor of Judea, and this guy's name was Felix. And Felix, in chapter 24, verse 24, Felix sent for Paul, and Felix listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ. Now, I don't want to minimize this. He is meeting with a governor of a region a Roman governor. Now, let's not get political here. But I want you just to imagine, what if our Florida governor gave you a window of opportunity to sit before him? I'm sure that some of you might have a list of, oh, I got to choose these. Oh. But would you share the story of Jesus with that window of opportunity? I mean, this is crazy. He's in front of a governor, and he's telling the story, talking about his faith. That's what he chose to talk to him about. And then not only that, he goes into detail. Verse 25 says, as Paul talked about righteousness, as he talked about self-control, 
and the judgment to come, look what happens to Felix. Felix was afraid. Probably about the judgment to come after he was convicted on certain things that Paul might have said. And so Felix, he says this, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, then I'll send for you. So then something happened where two years had passed and Felix was succeeded by the second governor and his name was Festus. Festus was a political animal. And so one of the first things he did when he took over power is he went to Jerusalem to talk to the people that he would rule over and he wanted to find out how can I please the people that I am going to rule over. And so that came out in his conversation because they appealed to him and said, hey, bring that guy back here for trial. And so Festus then goes uh, before Paul and he says this, wishing, verse 25, chapter 25, we're, we're in chapter 25, verse 9, Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor. That's very loaded, that statement. Said to Paul, hey, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges that you're being charged with? Paul was brilliant because he suspected that the governor's proposal was politically motivated. And Paul also was very familiar with civil law. He not only knew God's law, but he was very familiar with civil law. And watch what he does here in verse 10. Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. He's a Roman citizen, by the way. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. Verse 11. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to the Jews. I appeal to Caesar. That's a huge statement, by the way. And so Festus didn't know what to do with that. He had to go and consult his lawyers. He's like, well, what do we do with this one? He, he's appealing to Caesar. So, so he goes and he couldn't consult with his lawyers. In verse 12, he says, finally, he says, he's conferred with his counsel. And then he declared to Paul, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. You see, when Paul said, I appeal to Caesar, he immediately removed the case from the governor's jurisdiction, and he transferred that to the emperor at Rome, the most powerful man in the world. What was motivating Paul? Not death. He didn't care if he died. He wanted to tell the story of Jesus to the most powerful man in the world. He was called to God, called by God, to eventually go to Rome, and he wanted to stand in front of Caesar himself. So then there's this other guy that comes to play. His name is King Agrippa, and he oversaw the Judean area, and, and, and what, uh, chapter 25 and 26, he comes in in a parade with all of his pomp and glory. He walks in peacocking inside this area of Festus. And everybody's looking at the king because he wanted to meet, you know, who's the new governor here? 
And so King Agrippa comes and, and then he, he, he and, and Festus start to talk. And Festus looks at King Agrippa and says, hey, I've got this nut job. He's sitting down there in protective custody. He, he's kind of nuts and I've got this trial that I'm trying to figure out. Would you like to hear it out with me and help me make a decision? And so they bring Paul before the two of them. Paul comes out, tells his whole story of what Jesus did in him, with him, and through him, and the hope of the resurrection. And then after he tells the story, Festus interrupted him. And Festus says in verse 26, verse 24, he says, you are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, for the common person, they would shrink from that. It's a pretty aggressive words. Paul was bold, his identity in Christ. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is, is true, and it is reasonable. And then he changes his gaze from talking to Festus to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, by the way, he knew the law. There's historians who wrote about that guy who he actually argued with Pharisees and Sadducees about the law. So he knew those details being king over Judea. And so he looks at King Agrippa and he says, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Then he appeals to King Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. See, Paul's argument was a little bit of an appeal. Because he says, since you know what I'm saying is true and reasonable, and since you believe in the prophets, and those prophets pointing to a Messiah, which was Jesus, then believe in Jesus. You believe in the prophets, believe in Jesus. It was an appeal in front of everybody. And listen to Agrippa. Listen to his response. Verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think, that in such a short time, you can persuade me to become a Christian. It's the second time in the whole Bible that the word Christian is used, by the way. It's only used three times, and that's the second time. And it's used in a sarcastic manner. Do you think in such a short time you can convince me to be one of you? Come on. Really? Paul does not get intimidated. He doesn't get nervous. Look at his focus. What's his focus? It says this. Paul replied, short time or long. I love that. Whatever. Short time or long. I pray to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains that are on me. I want people to experience the love of Jesus like I love Jesus. I want people to experience the hope of resurrection like I have. I want people to know what living free from forgiveness because I was a sinner. The worst of them, by the way, 
And I want people to know that truth for themselves so they can live free. My identity is set on Christ, not in anything else. And I want you and everyone listening, I want you to experience that for yourself. That's what he's telling this group of people here, these politicians in a room. They didn't know what to do with that. So Agrippa and Festus got together and like, whoa, whoa, what, what do we do with this? In verse 31, they began saying to one another, Festus and Agrippa, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, kind of leans in and says, let me give you some counsel here. He says, not really counsel, but this man could have been let free if he did not appeal to Caesar. He could have been a freed man if he would have just shut his mouth. But Paul's motivation was to tell the story of Jesus to the most powerful man in the world. Nothing was holding him back from doing that. Refusing to be intimidated, he courageously used his circumstances to tell the story of Jesus to those that God put before him. The Jews tried to diminish his influence, but they only succeeded in enlarging it. Sometimes adversity provides us a tremendous opportunity to share the story of Jesus in us to others. What are you going through right now? That people are watching. And what is the opportunity that we're missing in the people that God puts in front of us? Paul endured countless difficulties that could have distracted him from sharing the gospel with others. You might immediately say, well, Mark, I don't even know how to share the gospel. I don't have a clue how to share the gospel. You go back and read those six chapters. Pay close attention to the story that Paul tells because for the most part, Paul simply told his story, his testimony, and how he experienced God. He merely told people what Jesus had done for him, in him, and through him. That's what he would do over and over and over again. See, most of our witnessing should be telling how God has impacted your life. And that is hard to do when there is too much noise in your life. It's hard to do. But God gives every one of us an opportunity to share the story of Jesus in us to inspire others. If it is the hope, and if it is the story of the darkness that we used to live in last night and God bringing me out of it today, On January 2, there was 21.8 million people watching Monday Night Football. The largest in the history of Monday Night Football. 21.8 million. And if you're watching that day or watch the news the next day, you know the story of DeMar Hamlin. A young man that 
collided with another young man, and he collapsed. No one knew what would unfold. But that circumstance drove a nation and sports fans to Jesus, to faith, to pleading to God maybe for the first time. It drove an ESPN commentator to say, guys, we got to stop talking about praying and we're just going to pray. National television, he just belted out a powerful prayer for God's healing over a young man fighting for his life. Just this week, he came out that some of you may have seen it's gone viral. This powerful video of gratitude of what God had done for him and what God is doing in him and what God continues to do through him. I want you to take a look at this short little clip. Now that my brothers have closed out a strong winning season, as I continue to make so much progress recovering, I think it's finally a good time to share a few things. I think it was important for me to wait and speak publicly at the right time, as it was just a lot to process um, within my own self, uh, mentally, physically, um, even spiritually. It's just been a lot to process, but I can't tell you how appreciative I am of all the love, all the support, and everything that's just been coming in my way. What happened to me on Monday Night Football, I feel is a direct example of God using me as a vessel to share my passion and my love directly from my heart uh, with the entire world. And I'm able to give it back to kids and communities all across the world uh, who need it the most. And that's always been my dream. That's always been what I stood for and what I'll continue to stand for. Thank you to everyone who donated in any type of way to the Chasing Them Foundation. Uh, my mind is literally blown away from all the support. Um, I don't even have the words to express the gratitude for the amount of support that was given into that. That was something that was started even way before I made it to the NFL. Something that was started small just to be able to affect my small community back at home, McKees Rocks. Uh, I just wanted to, to be able to play my role and do my part uh, in my community uh, as, I, as I ventured off and to chase my dreams of making the NFL. Uh, and you guys have just took that and blown it away. And, and I'm so excited for the things that I have planned in the future uh, for these kids. Uh, all across the country now. While I'm so thankful to everybody, I know that it isn't enough just to be thankful. This is just the beginning of the impact that I wanted to have on the world. And with God's guidance, I will continue to do wonderful and great things. I couldn't do this without any of the support and the love. And I can't wait to continue to take y'all on this journey with me. Mm. You know, sharing the story of Jesus in you it cannot happen unless you're intentionally 
growing in Jesus. There's not much to tell if you're not trying to pursue Jesus. If you're just complacent and you're comfortable, it's not a story. Jesus has written a story in each of you. We need to be bold enough to share it in whatever situation you're in. But sharing the story of Jesus is hard to do unless you're intentionally growing in Jesus. So I want to challenge you with two questions. One of our 2023 goals is to start discipleship groups. Part of that discipleship group is this. This is one or two, three people. Pastor Juan talked about spiritual accountability the second week of January, and it includes spiritual accountability. But do you have someone helping you grow in Jesus? Think about the person that you're sitting next to. Why not them? Do you have someone helping you grow in Jesus? Do you have an iron sharpens iron relationship with someone else? And then are you helping someone else grow in Jesus? So we need to find somebody to nurture and help and challenge your growth in Jesus. Our story of Jesus in us happens as we grow, intentionally grow in Jesus. And it is a story worth telling of what Jesus has done in us, with us, and through us. A church in action is a church that tells that story over and over and over again with no hesitation, no intimidation, because you want people to experience what you're experiencing in Jesus. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will give us people in front of us to tell that story that you have embedded in each of us and do it not in a preachy way but in a way of sharing the experience that we each have in you or long to have in you and maybe that story is in the midst of a struggle you're still in the midst of that struggle you're in that story Maybe that story is in the midst of doubt or a crisis in faith. You're still in those stories. Help those stories emerge and put the right people at the right time in front of us to tell the most amazing story in the world. That is of Jesus. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.